Most are familiar with the declaration that the heavens declare the glory of God in Psalm 19. Much of that psalm is the foundation for the doctrine of general revelation. General revelation is the disclosure of God to humanity through nature. Indeed, throughout all creation, God is revealed. And now in Psalm 29, he continues this theme of general revelation. Psalm 29 calls upon all of creation to worship Yahweh as he reveals himself through creation. Now, of interest in this psalm, Psalm 29, is the phrase, the voice of the Lord, or the voice of Yahweh. Seven times the voice of the Lord is mentioned. The use of seven in Scripture implies perfection or completeness. Thus, the sevenfold use of the voice of the Lord, or the voice of Yahweh, suggests that God is complete in his sovereignty over creation. As well, the voice of the Lord commands the many waters in verse 3, the cedars of Lebanon in verse 5, and the wilderness of Kadesh in verse 8 to praise him. If you take a moment to plot these locations on a map, it reveals the areas north, south, and west of Israel are under God's command. Now the inscription tells us that Psalm 29 is a psalm of David. And in this psalm, David reveals God's voice in creation. Now we begin with an inscription in verses 1 and 2. First of all, David ascribes honor, and secondly, holiness to God. Let's begin in verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Here, David's ascribing honor to God, and we begin with a call to worship to the sons of the mighty to join in the praise of Yahweh. Now, the phrase sons of the mighty refers to the angels who make up Yahweh's heavenly court. And so these angelic beings are commanded to ascribe or give to the Lord glory and strength. Literally, the glory due his name. Now, worship is defined here as giving something to God, not getting from God. And that seems to be a major hiccup today amongst quote-unquote worshipers. They come and they, they worship because what am I going to get? What am I receiving out of worship? And to be honest, that's not biblical worship. Every time we see the word worship used throughout the Old and the New Testament, it denotes something being given to God. Our, our attitude in worship isn't on, supposed, on what we are supposed to get or how we're supposed to feel, but what God is supposed to get, how God feels. And so, you know, really, we, we need to reevaluate our idea of worship. So worship is defined here as ascribing or giving God something, and we're giving Him honor. We're to offer glory to God that is praised for His majesty and triumph. Worship is giving God praise. Also, they are to offer strength, or, or that's to offer praise of His power. In other words, uh, we can think of it this way. Um, if you were in England and uh, you were uh, seeing the queen, you would shout, Long live the queen! Or if you saw her face to face, you would address her as your majesty. And so the idea here of, of offering or giving unto the Lord glory and strength indicates that we're to speak into God or speak in God's presence 
in a manner that is reverential or in a manner that is respectful because of his position and power and strength. The second thing David ascribes to God here, first was holiness. Now, in the last part of verse 2, he, he describes holiness. Again, I, verse 1 and 2a was honor. Verse 2b is holiness. Worship the Lord in holy array. Worship the Lord in holy array. Having told the angels what to offer God in worship, offer him glory and praise for his name, for his strength, David now tells us how they worship. Again, the word worship, not only does it denote something we give, but the very word itself means to bow down or to surrender. And that's what we do in worship. We bow down, we surrender ourselves to the Holy One. And we are to, those who submit themselves in, in worship are to do so, as the angels, in holy array or holy adornment. Now the word holy here means apartness or sacredness. And the idea is that the worshiper is to submit to Yahweh in the adornment of being separated from sin separated from rebellion, and separated from idolatry. When the holy angels worshipped God, they were submitting themselves to God and showing they were separated from sin, separated from rebellion, separated from idolatry. Now, do we in our churches in any way reflect this type of heavenly worship? We should. We're supposed to, in Romans 12, verse 1, we're called to surrender to the Lord in worship. According to Hebrews 13, 15, we're to offer praise to his name. And when we worship the Lord, we are to worship him in holy adornment. And what is that? Well, let me be very specific what holy adornment is, because I'm sure many people would read that verse and have a lot of opinions about what they think holy adornment is or isn't. The scripture is very clear that our holiness, our holy adornment is in Jesus Christ himself who clothes us in his righteousness and makes us through his spirit holy. As 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So when we come to worship we need to make sure that we're coming in holy adornment. That is, that we have clothed ourselves in holiness before we approach a holy God. Now, in verses 3 through 11, we have the attributes of God. The attributes of God. So David began with an ascription, God is honor, God is holiness. Now, he points out two attributes of God. He begins in, let's read verses 3 through 9, and we'll begin with the first attribute of might. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The, glory, uh, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. See, the God that we worship is the God who spoke creation into existence. It is the God who orders all things according to his word. 
It's the same God who commands this fallen world into submission to himself. And we see here that the voice of Yahweh is over the waters, over many waters, and his voice thunders, which is the idea that in his voice is power and strength. Now the point in verse 3 is that through his voice God rules the waters. Go back to Genesis 1.21. In the New Testament, remember Mark 4.35-41, Jesus silenced the storm with a word. God commands the waters and they submit to him, according to Exodus 15, 8-10. How many times, think about it, in the Old Testament, God caused the waters of the Red Sea to split so they walked on dry land. He parted the waters of the Jordan and they walked into the promised land. Later with Elijah, he parted the waters. Uh, and now we come to the New Testament. We see God's control over water, just with a spoken word. And since God is called the God of glory here, and because his voice is powerful, because his voice is full of majesty, we need to have the appropriate response. He's a mighty God. His voice is mighty. Now again, if, it's just, if his voice is mighty, how much more mighty is all of God? Not only does God command the seed of the west of Israel, he also commands the nations to the north. His voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon by flames of fire, i.e. lightning. In Isaiah 2, 12-13, the cedars of Lebanon were a symbol for pride. And so the idea here is that God is bringing the pride of the nations low. At his, commands, at his command, Lebanon and Syrian or Syria skip like a young wild ox. They act like silly calves because their power is at an end when they hear Yahweh's voice. So we see the voice of the Lord is mighty. It controls nature. It controls the nations. And then God's voice also commands Kadesh to the south of Israel. He shakes the wilderness. The verb shake here means to dance or to writhe in pain. It's a term used uh, in the Hebrew tongue for childbirth. It's used in verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve. Literally makes the deer writhe in labor pain. And what David's doing here is drawing a picture of God's voice like an earthquake ripping across the wilderness, stripping the forest bare in judgment, but also bringing forth new life as a fawn comes into this world. And so these manifestations of God's power in his voice ought to evoke a proper response from you and I. In his temple, everyone says glory. Now the temple, or the word, it's the same word for palace here, is where the king dwells. God dwells in his holy temple. And so, when we come to worship God, while we're not gathering in his physical temple in heaven, we do come into his presence when we worship him here on earth, in this temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, that is our body, and we are to what? Say glory. In other words, glory to God in the highest. We're to be declaring God's glory. We're to be declaring the true opinion of who God is and what he has done. Again, it's all about God, not you and me. And finally, in verse 10 and 11, David deals with God's majesty. The second attribute, God's majesty. The Lord sat at as king at the flood, yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. He sits above the flood. He sits above the chaos. 
And there is God enthroned in heaven, ruling and using the waters in judgment. He brought forth the world out of, and creation out of the water. He destroyed the earth with water at the flood. And he sits as a king forever over creation. As God empowers his people, he gives them strength from his strength. That means that we have the strength to battle the forces of chaos. And then God blesses us with peace, with shalom, with wholeness. And that blessing is the blessing we have through Christ. Through Christ we have been granted the blessing of eternal life. Through Christ we have been granted the blessing of release from the bondage of sin and death. We're no longer damned to hell and lake of fire, but now we have been adopted into his heavenly family. We are espoused to Jesus as his bride. And one day we are going to stand literally in the presence of God, blameless before him with great joy. And so, what does that mean to you and me today? It means we need to ascribe him glory. It means we need to use our voice to honor and glorify him as the angels in heaven do. We give him praise because of his majesty. We give him praise because of his might. We give him praise because of his holiness. We give him praise because of his honor. So in Psalm 29, we see the voice of God in creation. The voice of God, or God's voice in creation. God is king. He is the sovereign Lord. And you know what? There's no pride and there's no chaos out there in which he does not reign and rule over. And so, in the end, as always, his voice, his word, will prevail. The question is, what word are you listening to? Are you listening to the words of the Lord? Or are you listening to words out of the chaos of this world, out of the pride of life? What word are you listening to? I challenge you to get your ear tuned in to hear the voice of God in creation. Listen, don't just see creation. Psalm 19 is all about seeing creation. Now we need to listen in Psalm 29, to listen to God's voice and to hear what he has to say. As well, let's make sure that our worship is all about him. Let's make sure that in our worship we're not gathering and we're not uh, coming before him for what we get out of it, but rather what we give to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Psalm 29, the Psalm of David that reveals your voice in creation. Indeed, Father, we, we see the, how the heavens declare, uh, how, how uh, we, we see creation in so many ways points to you and reveals you. But now, Father, we're also supposed to stop and listen. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to slow down and to take a moment not just to look but to listen and to hear your voice, that still, small voice. And that, Father, in hearing that voice, we will understand that it is a mighty voice. It is a majestic voice. It is a holy voice. And it is an honorable voice. And, Father, as we hear your word, I pray that it transforms us, that it changes us, that it challenges us. 
that, Father, it doesn't leave us the same, but that rather, Lord, it would transform us, it would renew our minds, and that, Father, we would be a people then who praise you. We would be a people who are focused on giving you all the praise and you all the glory that you deserve. Lord, help us to make it all about you and less about us. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.